those are my kids, <laughs> you know what I mean? And these kids are gonna become your kids as well. And so it can't be about anything else except for those souls that we're managing at the time, those souls that are on your team at the time that you're gonna work with because being able to humanize what we do, I think is the gift. Hey everybody, welcome to Stronger Than You Think, a podcast by Youth Villages, and I'm your host, Sam Coates. In each episode, you'll hear a story of passion and resilience from an employee of Youth Villages, one of the top children's behavioral and mental health organizations in the country. Children with emotional and behavioral challenges and their families face unimaginably difficult circumstances. And it takes a committed, well-trained and supported person to show up for these children and youth every day to help them find their path to well-being. Join us to hear from individuals as those on the front lines of this work as they talk about their career journeys and how their own personal experiences fuel their passion, making a difference every day. Hey, everybody. Our guest today is Latoria Jenkins. After growing up with a sister who's bipolar and a close family friend whose son had special needs, Latoria always knew she wanted to work with kids and adults to create a community where everyone feels included. Her career started as a teacher before she eventually got to Youth Villages. As Latoria says, when you hear the success stories that transform lives, they mean everything to you. Latoria is now a program manager at Youth Village's Dogwood Campus, a residential program. Before we get going, at Youth Village's, as you know, there are several different programs that each guest may reference. Today, Youth Village's residential programs help girls and boys ages 6 through 17 with serious emotional, mental, and behavioral issues on campuses in Tennessee and Georgia. Our goal is to provide specialized therapy and support so that youth can overcome challenges and go home or to less restrictive care as quickly as possible. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Victoria, great to see you. Nice to see you too. What's it feel like to have your own podcast? Oh, this feels amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. Good deal. Well, it's great to be with you. I read that when you were working as a teacher, you developed a passion working at inner city schools, and you would frequently come across kids with behavioral and emotional issues. Can you explain maybe what that was like for you at that time and what you saw? Yes. I graduated from college in 2008, and I immediately went looking for something to jumpstart my career. Being a teacher is something that I aspired to be since I was a kid. But when I first got out of college, I heard about Youth Villages and I applied. Though that wasn't my time at that time, I went ahead and continued to pursue education and apply to be a substitute teacher where I taught for six years. Um, My first three years, I taught at Westside Middle School where that principal wouldn't let me teach anywhere else because I just had a niche for I guess, a structure and managing those behaviors with that specific population. One, it's hard to find people who want to teach in middle school. Two, it's hard to find teachers who want to stay and teach with the inner city youth that are in middle schools. So it was something that, it was a passion for myself long time ago, and it was something that helped me be good at what I did as a substitute teacher. So in those schools, a lot of my full-time teachers would send me their students who had behavior risk problems, and they would sit with me until they could get themselves together to go back um, into their classrooms. And so 
doing that um, with my degree being in special education, I would try and hop on top of a lot of special needs. But it really jumped off when I started teaching at Southside Middle School. Yeah. And during my time at Southside Middle School, there was a teacher who was going out on maternity leave. And as she was going out on maternity leave, you know, I got to know her. I got to know her kids because she wanted the transition to be smooth. And while she was out, you know, teaching those kids with them different types of disabilities, different type of learning disabilities and emotional um, disabilities that they had, I was able to impact them because I was able to recognize that it wasn't just about education for them. In order for them to understand the English, the math, the science that I was trying to get them, I first needed to feed into the need of the person, the human being in that youth. And a lot of my kids were hurting. So so you saw for you to be the best teacher that you could possibly be, you had to understand what that child was actually going through. Yes. And once you did that, and then you developed a reputation for it, and you had a heart for it. Yeah. You started helping students in a better way than maybe some other teachers could because you were getting, you were really taking care of the child and whatever they needed. Is yes, that fair? That's fair to say. So for context here, is it okay for me to ask? So you said it was not your time. So you applied to Youth Villages yes. when you graduated college yes. and you did not get the job. I did not get the job. <laughs> but you knew, like I said, we were joking before the show, yeah. look at you now. Now they <laughs> right, want you on right. the podcast. <laughs> So persistence, right? Right, persistence. Stay at it. But you had a heart for it. Yes. And so you went into teaching. Mm Mm-hmm. And you've also talked about your niche. Where did that niche come from? I think a lot of my niche came from my upbringing. As a kid, raised in a home with now, as an adult, we know that my sister is diagnosed with bipolar disorder. But as a kid, you know, when you're young, you're not able to be diagnosed. And so... Growing up with her in the home and dealing with the ups and downs of her mood swings and being able to recognize as a child and the younger sibling how to deal with my older sister who was going through these emotions of her disability without even knowing what it is, I developed a patience and a passion for dealing with people that are different. For those of us that might not be serving people from a career standpoint mm-hmm. the way that you are, or those of us that did not grow up with a family member that had to really wrestle with being bipolar. Mm-hmm. What is that like on a day-to-day basis? Oh, it's hard. Um, it's having the patience and loving someone when they can be so low or so, you know, down from where other pe- people see it um, to not be able to communicate how they feel, to not be able to communicate that they don't have the ability to have the same feelings that you're having at the time, or they don't have the ability to focus in because their anger that they've suppressed is coming out, or maybe it it could be an angry day, or maybe it could just be a sad day, or maybe it could just be a day where my sister just didn't have the ability to care sometimes, you know, sometimes you want people to care in the same way that you have. But when you have things that are dealing with you mentally and you don't have the capacity to be able to push forth, sometimes you need that support system to support you as you try and push forth or support you or empathize with you while um, you're trying to deal with the things that you're going through. And as a family, we had to come together to support her in a way that was different or learn how to support her um, because we didn't know how. And so, so is it 
It's a chemical imbalance? Yes, yes. How much older or younger is your sister than you? My sister's eight years older than me. Do you have siblings? It's just me and her. (laughs) Can you describe the effect on your parents? Um, It affected my parents a lot. Once my sister became an adult and she decided to live her life the way she lived her life, she had two beautiful girls. And when she had those two beautiful girls, I was away in college. And my sister, dealing with her mental health issues, it got to a point to where she wasn't able to raise her girls in the best environment. But because she had the support system that she had, we were able to step up. With your parents and you? Yes, yes. So my parents got temporary custody of my nieces uh, my second year of college. And my parents are my parents. (laughs) And so I knew, you know, I had to either step up and do something different or I had to sit back and wait and see what was going to happen. But because of the way I was raised and because of my faith and because of my persistence, I decided— I was going to leave college, come home, and help my parents with my nieces. So my second year of college, I came. I didn't quit. I came to do college here, and I went to Southwest Community College for about three years, got my associates there while I helped raise my nieces to the point to where one was in high school. Um, No, she wasn't in high school. She was in middle school. The other one was in elementary school. And I finished my degree at University of Tennessee at Martin, and then I came back to finish raising my nieces after my parents were at a point to where they were able to just focus on my nieces so that I can focus on myself. What did you see in your parents? Is there anything that you respect the most about them or how they dealt with that season or how they loved your sister or loved you or tried to create that impact that you reference? I think what I respect the most about uh, my parents is They spoiled us, but they didn't spoil us with uh, materialistic things. Like, they built and instilled in us that when you work hard for things, that it means more, that you'll take care of them better. But when it came to emotional support, they spoiled us with it, with time, quality time, with all of those things to build us up within. So with that, that's how we were able to recognize that my sister needed a better support system. So then it wasn't just anger over not knowing what was going on with her, but because we were emotionally spoiled, we were able to love on each other to try and help build upon what was going wrong at the time to try and make it right. If your sister and you did not have the support that y'all had by your parents and you were left more on your own, what would have been different? Oh, it could have been totally different. I could be in the shoes that of the youth that I serve today. You know, if I didn't have that support system and didn't know, it would have been left to me and my sister figuring it out on our own and behaviors that come along with that that look like disrespect or look like not getting into the wrong things or looking for our peers to help us find out what's the difference between right and wrong rather than having that support from home. So what you're saying is their role and their influence in you and your your sister and your family, it helped get you through these very hard years, and it helped you see things that you couldn't see. And by all the love and support, that totally impacted, you know, why your life has turned out the way it is today up to this point. Yes. um, I never felt the need to 
look for a community to fit in outside my home. You I felt always secure. Had, I always had that security from home. So I think that helped shape who I am today. And that's what you're doing for girls today. Exactly. That's exactly what I want to give them. I want them to feel that support regardless of what it is that they come with. Um, I had a youth recently tell me she's now not in my program anymore. She transitioned to a Wallace Group home in Nashville. But she told me when I first became her manager, everybody gives up on me. My mom gave up on me. My dad gave up on me. You're no different from anybody else. And I told her that was my mission with her. I wanted her to be able to see that not that this isn't just a job for me, that I wanted her to genuinely be able to see that I'm going to be here to therapeutically support her through her ups and downs regardless, and that we were working with a team, as a team with her and her family. And I was able to get her to see before she left that it wasn't that her parents didn't want to support her. They just didn't have the skills to be able to support her the way that we have the skills. And for her to be able to see that, you know, it's not about trying to prove something or trying to misbehave to get the attention she needs, but she needed to be able to communicate with her words so people can understand what's going on at the time. And uh, it was a period of time while I was managing her where she was pushing, 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 but I was always able to uh, communicate transparently with her like, okay, in this moment, you're not upset with me. In this moment, you're upset, but it's okay for you to be upset. It's just not okay for you to be unsafe while you're upset. And so when I got her to understand the difference between her emotions and her safety in displaying her emotions, it was able to, I was able to push that off to the staff so that they could help us support her and so that everybody was on the same page of teaching her what safety is and how to be safe. And it wouldn't be a me thing or it wouldn't be a her thing or it wouldn't be a specific staff. But as a team, if we work together to push what this youth needs, then we're going to help her see that it's a team effort and that it can happen. If we're able to get our clinical team on board, they're able to push that message to her family so that her family can see that it's not about the behavior in the moment, but it's about pushing your concern, too, as well for safety because the things that you display here are the things that you'll display when you get home. So if we can practice safety here, we can take it back home to get the full picture. And just a couple of weeks ago, I had a call from her, and she was like, I just want you to know that I'm doing good oh, well. and I'm being safe, Ms. <laughs> and I was like, that's my word, safety. How many years since you first started building a relationship with her? Um, I became her manager last December of last year, and she transitioned from my program. So it's about a year and nine months Mm -hmm. since you met her. Yeah. She transferred in August. Yeah, in August, at the beginning of August. So earlier we were talking about this, about teaching and Mm -hmm. certain teachers that can build a relationship with a child. And you were saying that if you actually want to teach children well, you got to understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And that's what— started to click for you. Yes. And then you've talked about this woman here. What makes somebody that's able to actually build relationships with children or teenagers versus someone else that might not be able to build relationships and therefore their impact might not be as good? That's a good question. I believe what makes 
a person have the qualities that it takes is their community, their community of support, their patience to be able to adhere to the support that they've had. I think it takes time. Um, I think the skill comes from, from the parental aspect of it, but from your entire community, whether it's your family, whether it's your church family, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's your school system, um, your entire community plays a part of it. And as, you know, you go through life and you meet different people and different aspects, I think it it also depends on, like, the things that you're doing in that upbringing and in that community. If you're just a member of the community who's just there to look around and not participating in the community, um, then that may not be the best suit, you know, for you too. But I think being involved and being helped helps out a lot too. And you learn as you grow. I know with my parents, raising my sister, I'm sure they raised her in one way and they raised me a different way. And it's the same thing we do with our kids, you know, um, in our facilities. You can't approach everybody the same way because every body is different. So being able to see that and recognize that in the home, in the school, you know, when you go off to college and things like that, I think that helps build you and make you have those tools that you need to be able to show that compassion in a different way. Yeah. What about college? It sounds like you had to really, you had to have a lot of discipline, you had to have a lot of sacrifice, Mm -hmm. and you had to have a lot of humility to come back. How influential or important was college to you and what you're doing today? College was really influential in regards to what I do today. In college, during my student teaching and in my community of friends that I had, I've always been, I guess, would you say, the backbone of the group? (laughs) Yeah. You know, like even something as simple as like as a friend group, we see a concern with one of our peers at the time. Usually, if it's something negative, I was always the girl they went to to address it because I'm like, "Uh, people listen to you (laughs) different from how they listen to us because I've always had a way of addressing a concern without it becoming aggressive, you know. Because of your sister. Yes, because of my sister. So my approach has always been different. And so with that being said, when it came to projects uh, in college, when it came to different because I'm not in any sorority or anything like that, but I've always had a group of friends um, that we hung out with. My high school had a bunch of people come, and then there's another high school, um, Northside High School, had a big group of youth come to go to college there, and we kind of all linked up together and became friends. And that was another part of it. I had a, a big group of friends from inner city school, then I have a big group of friends from my high school, Overton High School. And so that was another aspect of it that inspired me to want to work with kids when I went back home that were from the inner city community because those were those were my people when I were in college. So those relationships helped me understand their upbringing. And so I thought that that was something I could bring with me to give back into those communities as well. So you always had the heart and the passion for it. Mm-hmm. And then you went to college to study this mm-hmm. field. Yes. To a certain degree. Yes. But then you're talking about these diverse experiences in college. Yes. Continue to shape you, and you've always been able to navigate 
delicate situations and do that well because of experiences that you've gone through. But then you've also developed a heart for a lot of different types of people because of how eclectic your friend group is. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. And I think for me, in anything that I do, I think the greatest reward is in the thank yous. The greatest reward is in just being able to see growth in people from things that you inspired them to do. And it's not about receiving the kudos or anything like that. And for me, Youth Villages gives me that all the time because it's not about, hey, Miss such and such did this, but we're able to navigate through life with these kids. And then because of how we're set up as an organization, we're able to hear the success stories. It doesn't just end on the day that they discharge. We're able to hear those success stories and how well they're doing in their community. And those are the things that give you the big rewards. I think... Like you're saying transform lives Mm -hmm. brings you the fulfillment that you need. You don't care about verbal praise or anything like that, but seeing hearts change is the thing that matters most to you. I think one of the the most inspirational things that's happened in my career that keeps me coming back to work every day was during my time uh, management managing at Dogwood within those first couple of years. I think it was within my first year, actually. I worked with a youth that was hearing impaired, and this youth was a young black man, and being a black woman and being able to inspire kids that look like me has always been something that is important to me, too, because it's not often that kids that look like me get a second chance. So when I get kids that look like me in my programs, I'm just as passionate about their success, if not more, because we don't often get second chances. And so this young man came from a community, and not only was he physically different from everybody else, but he also had a mental disability. And during his time in my program, my team, my team, uh, residential-wise, and my clinical team, like, took to his case really good because we found out that mom didn't know who his father was. And all of these years, he's a teenage boy. He thought one person was his father, but come to find out while he was with us, this person wasn't. So we helped mom find his father. And not only did we help mom find his father, but once father's DNA came back, this man was so involved in his treatment. He was so involved in trying to do what was best for his son. He changed his life. He moved to set up so that when he comes home that he would have the best setup. Wait, his, the dad moved? The dad did. His, his, the dad's He just mom, didn't know. He just didn't know. And— Youth villages totally went above and beyond. Went above and beyond. And there was something there that was driving all these external perceptions. Yes, exactly. And, and, and behaviors. Yes. And you and the team that you're with kept digging. Yes, we to, kept digging until— to, to do work that no one else would have done from a total touch point right. standpoint. And you figured it out. And once you did that, it was like a—it just broke it. Yes, it broke it. And not only did it— changed this young man, but it changed his entire community. Mom had changes in her. Dad had changes. And come to find out, Dad's, um, his paternal side had so many resources that would be beneficial 
for him. Grandmother was fluid in sign language and worked for an organization that deal with it. So dad understood the importance of it and did what he had to do to make changes so that he would be in the best environment for his disability. And working the and being at work on the day that he met his father for the first time is by far one of the most touching moments of my life that I've ever experienced to see that man walk in and to see his son run and embrace him for the first time was amazing. What, where was that? It was on Dogwood campus in our administration so you, building. you knew he was coming, the dad, mm-hmm. and, you, but, and you knew things were building up the way, and you literally were watching the young man, and then you watched the father. Can you yeah. describe it? Yes, working with him, and if you've ever been around someone who's hearing impaired, you know that a lot of times with them being around speaking people, they um, read lips very well. And sometimes the sounds that they make, they're trying to articulate the way that we articulate, but the sound doesn't come out the way that ours does. And in that moment, like, as he walked through the door, that's when the gentleman was coming in to meet his son. And so they were walking up as he was walking in, and he came in to hear him even say the word dad and articulate it when he saw him, He because they video chatted, but they'd never seen any each other in person. And we didn't tell him he was coming and because we wanted it to be a surprise. And to see him talking to us in one moment, you know, the way he does using sign language, and to turn around and to see his father and to see the tears and to hear him scream, Dad, oh, it was just so touching and inspiring. And and one of the gentlemen who uh, came in, he works for Memphis Allies. He was my partner at the time, Carl Davis. Carl yeah. Davis said, see, this is why we do what we do. <laughs> you know, it was what he needed in that moment to make it through the rest of the day after that, dealing with another challenging youth. And it was what everybody need, needed in, in that moment to be like, Man, you know, this is what it's about. It's not about the challenges that we face every day. It's about the change that we make. That's powerful. How's that young man doing now? Um, Doing amazing. Um, When he left, we kept up with him a lot, and we were happy to hear that he's back in school and not having behavior issues now. He had the support system that he needed to be great, and his family often called back to thank us. I'm sure he's an adult now because that was several years ago, but um, while he was with us, I just was able to see a total 360 change in him, and it's one of the reasons why I come back and clock in every day. <laughs> What's it feel like to know that you are a part, you and the other men and women that you work with on your team, went above and beyond to do that and, and see the outcome today? It just feels amazing to be a part of something this great. It's bigger than me myself because I'm just one person, and there's so many aspects to what we do to be the support system that we need for each and every youth. For each and every youth that I serve, they all have a family. They all have a team. They all have a DCS worker. They all have a counselor. And to just play a role in the bigger picture is amazing to me. Like, there's a bigger picture for everything that we do, and there's different aspects from each department that works with these youth that they're looking for, but to just know that you're serving a purpose and that your area, because my area dealing with the residential 
aspect of it is about the behavior management of it. But because of the role that I play as a manager, I'm able to pull on the clinical team for assistance, get on the phone with their workers to find out more about their history. Because a lot of times when we're stuck dealing with behaviors, if I just sit there and only focus on the behavior management and not the why behind, then I'm stuck in that moment. But because of the skills that I've learned going to leadership development courses, um, networking with people from different aspects of youth villages, having seasoned workers where I'm able to say, hey, what did you do in this aspect? It's not just me, but I always have someone to lean on for support and just being a part of it makes me be able to be what I need for each and one of my kids. So that's what I appreciate, the community and family that we've built here as an organization so that even when you feel like you're failing, you can pick up the phone to call someone to see what you need to do for your team, to see what you need to do for your youth. Sometimes it's for me (laughs) to see what I need to do for myself because dealing with mental health, you're able to recognize your own mental health as well. And it's not just about serving one person, but serving everybody's needs and being able to lean on each other for that. If you're okay answering earlier, we were talking about so many great things that I didn't want to stop it. But sometimes, you know, like when talking to you and others, I'll hear something and I'll be like, man, I need to ask more. Okay. You said people like him or people like me, we don't always get a second chance. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what you mean by that? Um, What I mean by that is, of course, I'm an African-American young woman living in the city of Memphis and being raised in the South. It can be, I guess, heartbreaking at times. A lot of times, people from my community, um, Black people that I'm saying, a lot of times we come from different backgrounds that cause us to be in what we see as professionals, as crisis. But in our communities, it's not seen as we're in crisis. It's not seen as we're doing things as a cry for help. It's seen as they're thugs. They're gangbangers. They're this and they're that. And a lot of black people that look like me are just in search for a community and in search for support. And we don't get that a lot of times in our community because the way society is set up, a lot of people in my community feel like we're set up to fail. And so to be able to be a part of a community that sets up success, that sets up support, that you know, redefines what community is um, because we deal with a different population of youth at a time. It allows me to use my seat that I sit in as a program manager to be able to inspire youth that look like me, young Black people, young Black boys and girls, to not just be in crisis, to not just be hurt and only communicate hurt, to not just be angry and in our anger be unsafe, but be able to say, you know, I get that this is coming from somewhere else. Because a lot of times our young people are just sentenced to go be away, to sit They're not able to rebuild and build upon that and come back and have new skills to be productive. So they go and they sit and they serve their time and they come back to do the same thing over and over again. And, you know, we all know the definition of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result 
is insanity. And so when I get kids in that are from the Black community, my goal is to not let them leave the same the, the way that they came. I want them to leave with new skills to build upon so that they won't go back doing the same thing and expecting a different result because it's not okay. And I just feel like having the upbringing that I have and having the knowledge that I know is not something that I want to keep to myself. It's something that I want to share. It's something that I want to give so that more people that look like me, walk like me, talk like me, are able to see that I can do it too. And it's it's amazing to be a part of an organization that you feel respected. You feel, you know, like you can make a difference. You feel like you don't have to always meet a certain criteria to be what others see as professional, to be what others see as capable and able. I can just be me. And to let them know, too, it's okay to just be you and be great. You know, it's just because you're young and you're Black, it doesn't mean that the worst is expected from you because the best is in you. And I just want to get you to the point to where you're able to display your best. What advice can you share about, let's say, somebody that's listening to this, say they're in college or might be out of college, and they feel something about what you're talking about today, what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. If somebody cares in a similar way to the way that you care, what advice can you share to them about having a meaningful career? and doing incredible work that's creating an impact the way that it is, what you and others are doing here at Youth Villages? Hmm, the advice that I would have to them is, one, to be persistent. In everything that you do, there's nothing that comes off as perfect. There's always challenges in what you do. If I wasn't persistent, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you today. Every door is not going to always open in your favor, but when the door closes, don't let that be the end all or don't let that be discouraging to um, you to where you feel like this is it. But just know that in that moment, it wasn't your moment and you have to continue to push forward to find those doors that are meant to be open for you because when it's your time, it's your time. And just to to just be open, open to the process, to not be afraid to ask questions, to not be afraid to to start out in things that sometimes you feel like you're overqualified for or you feel like you can do more. Just know that doing something is better than doing nothing and to just be inspired to, to try because the more that you try, the more opportunities you have to to inspire. The more chances you take, the more opportunity you have for growth when you start out in different positions. If I would have taken my first no and never went into the school system and taught, I wouldn't have had all of those different interactions with those different kids in those communities to build me to be what I need to be as a program manager today. You're resilient, and that's what you're speaking to. Yes. That's the title, the theme of this podcast. Come on. And nobody even asked you to say that. Come on. What a natural fit. (laughs) Yes, resilience. Come on, I love it. That's incredible. Yes. So you've been here eight years. Yes. 
What do you most want for the future of Youth Villages? What I most want for Youth Villages is for Youth Villages to continue to grow, for Youth Villages not to just grow, you know, business-wise, but to grow as an organization um, so that we can continue to be great at what we're doing, that it's not always about the numbers, you know, but it's about doing what we need to do so that we can best serve our kids and best serve each other. I would love, you know, to see Youth Villages be able to be everything that our CEO wants us um, to be, all of his dreams and aspirations that he has for the organization. Last thing I have, says Latoria Jenkins grew up with her godparents' son who had special needs Mm -hmm. that you knew Early on, you wanted to work with kids and adults like him and help create a community for them where everyone felt included. Yeah. It's pretty incredible hearing everything that we just heard and how you want to do that since a young age and what you're spending your life doing. Thank you so much. No problem. Very grateful to do this with you today. No, thank you so much for, you know, using your platforms to be able to give us a voice in the community so that other people can hear the great things that are happening in this organization and hopefully want to be a part of it in the future. Yes, ma'am. It's going to be hard for him not to, not (laughs) want to after hearing you. Thanks. Thanks, Latoria. No problem. From Youth Villages, I'd like to say thank you for listening to this episode of Stronger Than You Think. And thank you, Latoria Jenkins, for sharing your story with us. For more information about careers with Youth Villages, visit www.youthvillages.org. That's youthvillages.org. We have also included resources in the show notes where you can find out more information about our programs. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to support the show, the best thing you can do is recommend it to a friend. Maybe share it with someone who you think might need it right now or is looking for their next career move. On behalf of Youth Villages, My name is Sam Coates, and I'm reminding you that you are stronger than you think. Before we go, here's a sneak peek at what's to come on our next episode with Youth Village's own Lindsay Lewis. We'll see you back here then. You have to be creative in your ways. And it's more of, you get to spend more time with the patient as opposed to going in, doing vitals, getting your assessment and leaving. Like this is more one-on-one, you're with the kid, you're there, you're attending appointments, you're spending time with them. It challenges you to be creative.